Plano. The heck with Frisco and Fort Worth and Dallas. It's Plano. So uh, it is great uh, to be with you all today. My name's Todd. If you're a guest here today, um, you might be wondering, you know, why that response was just there. And it's because um, often I'm with you in a very two-dimensional way. Uh, we, Watermark is um, a family of friends that are ministering in different parts of the city. And so um, Kegs and I and some others in Dallas 20 years ago, Buster and Desiree and I, uh, eight years ago in Dallas, started just hanging out together. And five years ago, we made our way up to Plano as an expression of God's people trying to be what God wants us to be in this area. And uh, I'm excited to be with you today because we have a lot we get to talk about. Uh, let me just say this before I start uh, a little bit more. We're, we're in a book, as you can tell by that little, um, we'll call it a bumper, which is just a way to kind of sync up often our other campuses. That's why we do that. It's a good way to try to transition to um, what we're going to be doing locally as we share some things together. But you walk in here, and we're just always aware when people come in here that um, you're walking into a place that you're like, man, God, are you there? Are you alive? Are you real? Do you know my story? Do you care about me? Is there anything to give me encouragement? And, you know, then you walk in, and they go, First Thessalonians, what in the world? Are we, that, where, where is Thessalonica? Which is how you say it in Greek. Well, it's still in Greece. And what you want to know is that God has chosen to reveal himself in the context of human history because God cares about humans. There's not a God idea, there's a God. And he knows you and he loves you. And he's wanting to interrupt the brokenness that is in this world to care for you. And so we know, we're about to study 1 Thessalonians. Let me just say this to you if you're here and you've got maybe a bad diagnosis this week or you're concerned about some disease, or there's a divorce that was just introduced into your world, or you're despairing because you see how the generations before you have screwed up the world, or whatever your thing is, man, and you're kind of like, dude, just talk to me about something relevant. Um, I think you're gonna see that what God has done in the midst of, and, and, and guys, that little, you hear that? Is that just me? I mean, I'm hearing a little feedback, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I would just say uh, to you that the reason we're going to study the Bible, God's Word, is because God wants to speak into your world. Not everything that the guys who wrote, over 40 different people, over 10 civilizations, about a 3,000-year period on multiple continents and, um, and, and a lot of different, well, three different languages— not every one of those authors who wrote things down, every time they wrote it down, did we say, oh, that's Bible, because like they're a prophet of God. No, God, though, did decide to distinguish and preserve and keep around certain words that he thought would be life-giving to us. And so I think you're going to find out that what we talk about today in Thessalonians is really relevant to you. But let me just say this. If you're a guest... We really want to engage with you. And you're welcome to be um, a visitor here as long as you want. But God doesn't work in anonymity. He works personally. We don't want you to be okay with a God idea. We want you to know God personally. And we think God wants to know you personally. And one of the ways that God wants you to know him personally is through his people. Jesus, in the scripture, and when he was here, said he was basically, if you see me, you've seen the Father. That wasn't basic. It's what he said. The scripture says he is the visible image of the invisible God. And then here's the kicker. Jesus said, you're my body, which means we're going to be the visible image. People, broken people are going to be the visible image of the invisible Jesus. So we take real seriously what God has us doing here. But you've got to engage with us. First of all, you want to determine, are these really God's people? And then if you want to know God, open his word. If you want to know God, get around people of the word. And ask questions. All right? And so if you're a guest, what we're going to do today is share with you some things that are going on. We're going to look at God's word. But I want you to know, we, we are the hands and feet of Christ. And our intention is to um, be a manifestation, an incarnation of God's love for you. So let us. You can be as anonymous as long as you want. But here's the deal. What we're about to do right here is not church. Church is what we do every day, all the time. Church is who we are. This is a gathering of the church, and here in this place, we do what we kind of tongue-in-cheek call a pastor's conference, because we're a kingdom of priests, 
And I'm trying to remind myself and remind you with me of everything that God wants us to be so that the church at Watermark Plano can do what God wants the church everywhere to do. Now, let me just step into Thessalonians with you. This was a very strategic city that kind of was a bridge between the west and the east. It's it, it kind of like the main thoroughfare, the I-35 of the world, the Silk Road, the Aegean Way, ran right through it. And um, it was there right on the, the, the corner of um, Europe and Asia. And uh, it was a harbor city. It was a highway city. It was a, a mixture of Greek philosophies and um, paganism and atheism and Judaism and every kind of ichasm and spasm man could come up with. It was chaos. And into that, God wanted to introduce truth. Not man's systems, man ideas, not elementary speculations, but revelation. And what God wanted to do in, in introducing revelation is to create in the people that received what God showed them something that was so beautiful the world would take notice of it. And so let me just tell you what that was. First of all, it was a group of people that had received the grace of God. You, listen to me, guess, you don't get favor from God by reading your Bible. You don't get favor with God by um, going to meetings. You don't get favor with God by feeding the poor, caring for widows, or taking in an orphan. And by favor, I mean it's not going to make you righteous. Now, all of those things are things that people who live rightly do, but it doesn't establish righteousness. It, it is something that by faith we do because we know it's what God would himself want to do in the midst of a broken world. God never created a world that was supposed to have orphans or the Spanish flu or American flu or coronavirus flu. He didn't create a world that was screwed up and broken, but this world is screwed up and broken because humankind has said, we don't need you, we don't want you. Um, we don't think your word is true. We don't think disobeying you is that big a deal. And we don't think you're really good and faithful. Like we just, as the church of Jesus, sang to remind ourselves because this world's just a mess. But God is going to introduce into the world some order and some beauty in the midst of the chaos. And that should be primarily made evident in his people who begin to love each other and reconcile with each other, who um, are no longer drunks who destroy marriages <laughs> but now we're clothed in our right mind and seeking healing and grace from one another we're people of grace grace means um, a good way to remember grace is god's riches at christ's expense so just so you know we're not building a resume here visitors we are celebrating god's love for us made evident through Jesus' death on the cross for us and we have been justified declared righteous by god by faith and so we have peace of god 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says just that. It just says, we know that you're in God and in the Father, grace and peace to you. So a church that's beautiful is a church that isn't trying to earn God's favor. A church that's received God's favor has peace with God and the peace of God that informs their life. That coronavirus little blog post I wrote out there, it explains to you what you should do, how you should think in everything. So take out the word coronavirus and put in Monday, and that blog post works, okay? So I would encourage you to avail yourself to it and be reminded about how we are to think, not as the world thinks, but, um, but as God would have us, as his people who know something most of the world doesn't know, okay? So grace and peace. Secondly, there's a church that is a work of faith. A labor of love and steadfastness of hope. That's what the scripture says in First Thess chapter 1, verse 3. I see you, and this is a church that doesn't just say religious things, but man, you guys are not working for your salvation because you've received grace. You're working out your salvation. And you labor in love. You don't just go, I love you, right? I see you love me. Like a woman doesn't want to hear a guy just say, love you, babe, and bolt out the door, not think of her all day. Right? It's appropriate to express love, but let's be honest, man. I don't want to hear just somebody say, I love you. I want to hear somebody who I see loves me. 
I don't want a God that goes, I love you people, and then just leaves me alone. I want a God that is there and present and strong with me. And Paul's saying, hey, the church in Thessalonica that received the word that he brought had a love that worked. And they had a faith that endured. It wasn't just because it was easy and things were going well. These are all things we looked at extensively last week. We see in verse 5, it's a church that was receptive to the very gospel of God. It's why they became these things. In verse 6, it says, you became imitators of us in the Lord. They were humble recipients and disciples. And they endured with joy tribulation. We see that. Verse 7, we see they became an exemplary group of people. Like, like, I mean, literally, like all everybody heard about, and I, I want to tell you, I've heard this from people up here. Hey, man, there's something different about Watermark Plano members. There just is. There's something different about you who have met Jesus and don't just go to church and don't just say you're a Christian, but who live Christianly. And you become an exemplary people. It says that there in verse 8. It says, and the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. There's a strong witness here. You're a city on a hill. I mean, people are having to go. Man, I'll tell you what, there's something different about that, folks, and that crew. Verse 9, they, they hospitably received godly leadership. Paul says, for they themselves report about what kind of reception we had. In verse 9, the world sees you turn from idols to God. And so idols are anything, you know, we don't make idols out of wood and stone much anymore. But our idols today are just anything that we think can give us life. Right? And by the way, I mean, I just, you know, um, you know I talk to people about stuff like, uh, you know, materialism and, 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 and a way to relate that is um, not biblical. I mean, idolatry can take a lot of different forms. And what, what Paul's saying is this church is different because it stopped pursuing things that the world uses to medicate and to um, numb itself and to appease itself and to entertain itself. And they said, no, all I want to do is live with the purpose and meaning that God gives humans who know him. Paul said that happened. And then lastly, they had an eternal perspective. That's, that's all that was going on. So why do I go over all of that? Because I see it in you. And secondly, because I want to know how you get that kind of church. Because wouldn't it be amazing if all throughout Collin County there were more people that have received grace and that lived lives of peace? Wouldn't it be amazing if all throughout Collin County and beyond there were more people who didn't just have a faith, but their faith did something? Their love was evident, and they weren't shaken by just things not going well. There were cities on a hill that could not be hidden. Wouldn't that be amazing if the world said, that group of people, I don't like what they say they believe, that there's a God that's going to hold us accountable, but man, do they ever make this a better world? They stand up against craziness and evil. They speak out against injustice. They don't perpetuate it or, or tolerate it. What kind of leader produces that kind of people? Here's the answer, First, that's 2. So let me just read to you verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to talk about it, and then I'm going to read verses 8 through 12, and then I'm going to talk about it, but let me just tell you how to understand First Thess 2, and this is why. So, so visitor who just wants to know, man, hey, Todd, I'm hurting. I want you to know I don't want you to hurt. I want you to be a part of the kind of people I just talked about that experience those things. And so you've got to find out if you can get around a place that has leaders like I'm about to talk about in chapter 2. And let me just say this to all of you. You're all leaders. It's a pastor's conference. It's a kingdom of priests. If you take the name of Jesus, I'm about to tell you what you're supposed to take on as a manner of living. Okay? Verses 1 through 7, uh, I'm going to give you um, a bunch of things you're not supposed to be. And verses 7 and a half through 11, I'm going to tell you things you should be. And then verse 12, I'm going to tell you why that works out well for you. Okay? So let's just read it. Watch this. This is uh, chapter 2. Uh, verse 1 through 7. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we'd already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you, to the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from men. 
either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Jesus we might have asserted our authority, but we prove to be gentle among you. Okay, now let me just say a few things right here. First of all, great leaders are known. Now why do I say that? Because if you'll just fly through this with me, listen to what he says in verse 1. As you yourselves know. Verse 2, as you know. Verse 5, as you know. Verse 9, which we haven't read yet. You recall. Verse 10, which we haven't read yet. You are witnesses. Verse 12, as you know. You're going to see that Paul's like, look, man, we came down there and we're hanging out with you and we were with you. We didn't just kind of get ushered in by a security team, say a few things, and then just disappear back to our green room. All right? We, we lived among you. And we, we, you, you, you know who we are. We're not an idea. We are present. And Paul said, just remember that, right? And so what you're going to see is Paul uses a little, um, a little teaching technique here in, in verses 1 through 7 that, that explain, and, and we're learning, what kind of leader produces a world and a group of people like we see in chapter 1. And what he does, and you can just follow this, um, you're going to see in verse 1, you see the word uh, not in vain. That's three words, but you see the word not? And then it says in verse 2, but we were like this. Look in verse 3, you see the word not? It wasn't this way. In verse 4, it's a but it was this way. Again, in verse 4 at the very end, not as pleasing men, but this way. And so what Paul's going to do, and he does this, let's see, one, two, three, four times in this very beginning. We're not this, but we are that. We're not this, but we are that, as you know. So what are those things that great leaders are? And he, he, tell, he, he teaches the positive by saying we're not the negative. So here's the first thing. He goes, uh, our coming to you was not in vain. The word vain, it means basically it wasn't without effect, right? Um, like I could um, call myself, it, it, I don't know, it's like I'm not into pro wrestling, um, but I could say, I could make myself, I don't know, Kyle and... Uh, and Jeff and I and Booth, we could start a new wrestling federation. And um, I could say, you know, they would let me for a couple of weeks uh, be the, the world heavyweight champ of, of this particular federation. And I could walk around, we could make a big belt, and I could say that I'm, I'm the world champion of this thing. You might, if you're a wrestling fan, you're like, boy, that ain't WWE, or that ain't WWF, or that ain't WW, whatever they're calling it this week. But it would be vain for me to say that I'm the heavyweight champion of this thing that nobody really cares about. It has no effect. You know what I mean? By the way, I want to just warn you against this. Bless you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to warn you against this, this idea that, uh, that when you get guys who stand up before you, who claim authority, and they um, ordination in Texas, right, is a joke. Like, we could file a 501c3, uh, me and six of my drunk buddies, and we could call ourselves the church of, um, you know, whatever, and then we could ordain that guy to be the leader. And we could, we could take the name of Jesus, or we could take the name of whatever we want, and we could just say he's an ordained priest. And he gets all the benefits of anybody who's been through whatever formal education and ordination process you put value in. But ordination and claiming leadership in Texas and the United States means nothing. The ordaining or the, the laying hands on only has any meaning by, based on the, the, the party that puts their hand on you, right? And our country values certain ordaining bodies. Like, you know, like, let me just be honest with you. Like, it's the same thing true of colleges. You do know the college cartel is trying to convince you if you don't have a piece of paper and a sheepskin from somebody who comes through their accredited institutions what the, they're going to say to the world is, well, this person's not really ready. And I would just tell you, man, increasingly, what's going on in colleges is a joke. And you come out of college with nothing but debt and four years of rehearsing depravity and debauchery that will lead to a lifetime of despair. Right? Now listen, there are certain, you know, I, and I don't want to, I, I, there's certain things I want my, my doctor, you know, to have some formal education. I'm not against formal education here. I'm just saying ordination and people saying they got something because they say they got something, you got to do your work. And what Paul is basically saying is, hey man, we didn't come in vain. 
there was something that you guys saw what happened. When we brought you the gospel, it produced something in you. It wasn't without effect. We're not, in effect, snake oil salesmen. What he means by that is we didn't just say we have an elixir, pull up in a covered wagon, charge you five bucks for a bottle, and then hustle out of town. And then you start swigging from this bottle when you get a cough, and you still got a cough, and you go, where's that snake oil salesman? What Paul's saying is that, man, you drank the gospel, and you believed in Jesus, and you followed Jesus' way, and you accepted Jesus' grace, and it produced in you something amazing. Now, I wanted to say this to you. Believing the story of Jesus is not going to change you. That's why Jesus says, follow me. That's why he says, work worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Some people out there, they go, ah, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've never been an atheist. I, I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Muslim. But I, where's this abundant life? And I just want to say to you, well, where is your obedience to Christ? Are, 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 you, are you doing the things that Jesus says that you should do because you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Because there is abundance and transformation there. I talked to so many of my Plano friends after the first service, and they just said, bro, my life changed when I came here because someone for the first time didn't want me just to come to their church like a snake oil salesman and just show up and shut up and pay up, but they asked me to really consider, am I going to follow Jesus and do what Jesus wants? And I started to follow Jesus and be a disciple. I learned his ways, and I turned from the things I was trusting in to God, and as I walked with him, my life is radically different. And my radical difference is a joy to me. And I'm not going to take my radical different life and go, well, you ought to love me now. Look how beautiful I am. No. I'm going to just say, God, you shouldn't love me. You do love me. The cross paid for all my craziness. And if I see that you're that good that you would die for me, I want to learn everything about you. And when you learn everything about him, it turns into this beautiful thing. So Paul says, we didn't come in vain. You saw it. It, it, it was amazing. In verse 2, but we had suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we still have the boldest of God to speak to you the gospel amid much opposition. What Paul's saying there is, I don't care if people don't like what I'm saying because I know that this is the gospel of God and it's the, it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And so go ahead and hate me. I'm going to love you. I mean, go ahead and kill me. It's for me to, for me to die is to gain. I'm going to just be sent to the one I love. But it's better for you that I remain, even if you don't like what I'm saying, because I'm going to say it to you in a way that might lead to your salvation, that you might have the kind of life that I described in chapter 1. Are you with me? Now, let me just say this. I don't know if you guys know, because we are a equipping church. We've got this thing called the Church Leaders Podcast. And the Church Leaders Podcast exists to train church leaders like you. And we just did one not long ago on criticism. And... Um, how a leader handles criticism. And so what Paul's saying right here is, we don't really care about the criticism. We continue to be bold. And, um, you know, if you don't have time to listen to the whole thing, basically one of the things I say about what you should do when you're criticized is go, is the criticism true? If it's true, then change. But if it's not true, then don't even stoop to consider it. Right? Why? Because truth sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. If the way I'm giving you truth is the problem, I'll repent. But if your real problem is not with me, but just what I'm saying, if your problem is with the message and not the messenger, if I'm a bad messenger, I'll deal with that. And I'll ask your forgiveness and go, hey, how can I be a better messenger? How can I say it with more gentleness and kindness? How can I, how, how, how would you have said it? But I've got to say it. And if what you want me to do is not say it, meh, sorry, I'm going to say it. Because I know it will produce in you something if you'll respond. Look what Paul says. So the first thing a leader does, he doesn't teach or a God leader comes with the power of God. He comes with the gospel of God, not without effect. Secondly, he doesn't teach with error or impurity or by way of deceit. He's not selling something. Let me just tell you what's going on. Paul knew what was happening around Thessalonica. People that have studied what's called the ancient Near Middle East, which is right around the time of Christ, who were experts in that era, this is what they said about this particular region. It said, there's probably never been such a variety of religious cults and philosophical systems as in Paul's day. East and West had been united, remember I told you that, and intermingled to produce an amalgam of real piety, high moral principles, crude, 
crude superstition and gross license were all over Plano or Thessalonica. Oriental mysteries, Greek philosophy, local godlings competed for favor under the tyrant, tolerant agesis of Roman indifference. There's Hindu temples, there's Muslim mosques, there's said Christian churches, there's TV evangelists, there's Marianne Williamson and um, something of miracles, whatever her thing's called. There's um, Mormons, there's atheists and Richard Dawkins. There's Kabbalahites. Watch. Holy men of all creeds and countries, popular philosophers, magicians, astrologers, crackpots and cranks, the sincere and the spurious, the righteous and the rogue, swindlers and saints, jostled and clamored for the attention of the credulous and skeptical. And Paul's just saying, hey man, I'm not lying to you. I'm not making this up. I'm not the latest, greatest prophet who found some golden tablets under a sycamore tree in upstate New York. That if you'll do your work has been completely debunked and exposed. He's saying, I'm just bringing you the, the gospel of God tested. If something's true, no amount of scrutiny can affect it. Check it out. By the way, nothing bothers me more than when I see people, and most of this, the most dangerous kinds are happening in churches, right? Um, it, the skin of truth wrapped around a lie is the most deceptive and dangerous lie. Um, I, I think about how, um, you know, there are, are people like this guy just came across this deal this, like this month, just like relevant what's happening. Um, the picture of this guy, his name is Jerry Pierce. He and his buddy Johnny Taylor have had a ministry that's, that's um, kind of gone wild in North Carolina, Maryland, California, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Michigan, over 350,000 um, vials of, of oil that have been produced by this Bible have been um, racketeered. They've run large gatherings of people that wanted to come and have this Bible that produces oil. That's what they're saying. And silver, silver comes out of that Bible that he's holding on that person's head. Uh, oil comes out of it, and um, he said it just started not long ago, and it's produced 89 pieces of silver, and this oil that when we hold it up and pray over people, their lives change. It's amazing, right? Now, what happened is because this was blowing up all over the country, um, they, they put it on the news. They were like, man, this amazing thing's going on and happening, okay? You can take it down for a second. Um, and, uh, and so they put it on the TV station, and one of the guys watching it worked at Tractor Supply, and he goes... That looks like the guy that's been in here buying a bunch of our generic oil. <laughs> and so they pick up the phone, they call the TV station, they go, hey, that guy's buying a bunch of oil here. What's he saying that Bible's doing? And they got pictures of this Bible sitting in a vat of oil that they say goes up every night. And the Bible's stored in oil. One of the things that Jerry and Johnny say is that sometimes when they take that Bible and they put it on people's head, that sometimes oil comes out of the Bible. Well, let me ask you something. If you soak a Bible in oil... And you take it out and you wipe it off and then I put it over your head and I squeeze it. I think oil's going to come out of it. They went to Jerry and they said, hey, Jerry, have you ever been to Tractor Supply? He goes, no, why do you ask? And he goes, well, because the guy at Tractor Supply said he'd been buying a lot of oil. He goes, they're liars. Well, they're liars with video cameras and Tractor Supplies. <laughs> and so they went back to Jerry with a little bit of more evidence. They go, those guys don't think they're lying. In fact, they think he just must have forgot. And he goes, you know what? I, I, I did. I forgot. I, I bought a lot of oil at Tractor Supply. And they go, well, do you mind if we test the oil on that vat that the Bible's producing? And lo and behold, the University of Tennessee Chattanooga said it is chemically identical to the oil attractor supply, petroleum-based. And then Jerry said that, lo and behold, the Bible has all of a sudden quit producing oil. And so his ministry, his name is Flowing Oil, isn't quite having the same, I mean, it's like last week this happened. And you're like, are you kidding me? Paul's saying, listen, man, that ain't what we're doing here. We're not giving you, we're not minimizing the power of God by having a diminished aspect of his glory. Gang, this is still happening today with glory clouds, gold dust, laughter, speaking in tongues that, that is nothing what the Bible says is the speaking of tongues. It's in the scripture. But the power of God is here. Look, we can make people speak in a bunch of gibberish. Like, really? That's the power of God? The power of God is not that you speak in a bunch of Syllables that nobody understands that you control the tongue you have. 
That's the power of God. But the teaching of kindness is on your tongue. But it's everywhere. Paul said, that ain't us. That ain't us. We let God examine our hearts. You know what these brothers say? They say, look, we, we haven't done anything. Um, we had nothing to prove to God. We're just stewards, and we're going to leave the consequences and rewards to God. Yes, they are. So it was Joel Osteen. But let me just say this to you, and I want to just encourage you with this. These guys, I, I bet you there are some people, and by the way, people have said they've been healed by this thing, okay? Um, and, and there's a lot of our um, illnesses that so much of our illness is psychosomatic. Where if I believe that there's power to heal me, I, a lot of times, you ever heard of the placebo effect? It's real. Um, and and I, I'll just say this, what these guys are doing, they're teaching some Bible around their craziness, and I bet you there's somebody that's going to hear them talk about the cross and about Jesus in the midst of their, their pimped out snake oil um, false ministry that's going to genuinely come to know Christ. I mean, if you listen to Joel Osteen long enough, he might eventually mention the cross and not just tell you how wonderful your life's supposed to be, and you might eventually respond to the cross, and I think you might actually deal with the cross and might actually get saved. I just wouldn't tell you to make him your pastor and follow him. Because God's not here to give you a pep talk and tell you how wonderful life's supposed to be. He's here to tell you how wonderful he is and you should follow him in all your ways. But let me say this. Your ministry is filled with error and deceit. If you just sit there and scoff at Joel and Johnny and Jerry, but you don't get busy about doing what God wants you to do. And here's what I mean by that. To say that you love Jesus and that you know you're his ambassador and that you really understand what the power of the cross is and to be silent this week is a problem. And when you take the name of Jesus and you're not an evangelist and a disciple maker and a Christ follower, that's a ministry of error and deceit. D.L. Moody, who used to be a widely celebrated leader in the church, D.L. Moody um, said that, um, you know, somebody walked up to him one time and said, ah, Mr. Moody, I don't much like the way you do evangelism. And he said, well, I don't much like the way I do it either. How, would you, how do you do it? And they go, well, we don't do it. He goes, well, then I like my way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. <laughs> now, I'm not endorsing chicanery or compromise. But I like people's way of doing it a whole lot more the way of the church who doesn't do it. So let's not just bash these guys. Let's make sure we're not bashful with the gospel. Look at this. Paul goes on to say, uh, as you know, we didn't come for, with a pretext for greed. We didn't seek glory from men. We weren't trying to be celebrities, separated, secured pastors. Um, no, man, we were just gentle among you. Without deconstructing this fully, a leader should not be without effect. When a leader is there, things get better. That's the definition of a leader. A leader should not be deceptive, rooted in error. A believer should not be a people pleaser. A believer should not be greed motivated. You have to decide, is Kegler and Parker, Buchek and Wagner, are we about your gifts? Or are we about the God? Be discerning. They're not abusive with their power. They're not eagle-led. They're not intimidating. And Paul's saying, I've been none of those things, as you know. And then you get to verses 7 and a half through 11. And why do I say that? Because, you know, Paul, when he wrote the letter, didn't number, you know, his sentences. And sometimes where we put our sentences in chapter breaks is a little unfortunate. So right there in the middle of verse 7, he's about to say, these are the things you should do. So let me just read this to you. We did, like a nursing mother tenderly care for her children, have a fond affection for you. In fact, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives, because you become very dear to us. Let me just, you know, in verse 9, he continues this one idea. For you recall our labor. That word labor is not work. That word labor is how you do the work. And my goodness, do mamas work? I got three nursing moms in my immediate family right now. And I am watching them. And I know I watched my wife raise six kids in nursing. And she cared for those kids. We'd be laying in bed at night. And all of a sudden, she'd stir and she'd start to get up and go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going to go 
go feed the kid. I go, the kid's quiet. She goes, the kid needs to eat. I go, the, the dad needs to sleep, right? <laughs> and doesn't the mom need to sleep? She said, it's not about the mom. I just go, man, praise God for moms. <laughs> All right, that's what I do. <laughs> and, and, and what Paul's saying is, hey, you know, right now I'm a granddad, okay? And people say, you know, grandparenting is the reward you get for not strangling your teenager. And they say that the beauty of grandkids is they leave with their parents. And both of those jokes are basically saying the same thing, which is, which is man, being a mom, being a dad, that's hard work. And what Paul's saying is, I was like that among you, man. I didn't just come with ease. I wasn't just a grandpa who came and, you know, I saw a sign yesterday that said, uh, when mom says no, go to grandma. When grandma says no, well, who are we kidding? Grandma never says no, right? <laughs> and so I just love that, right? And I'm like, like, like Paul saying, I wasn't there just a guy just tickling your ears. No, I was, I was, a, I was a mom and I was like a dad. This, the next part, you're our witnesses. So is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you. We, we were men of integrity. When it was trying to be hard, we were hard, but we were present and we weren't trying to make it easy. We just loved you, verse 10, I mean, verse 11. As you know, we exhorted and we encouraged and we implored each one of you as a father. See, this is the kind of leadership which produces transformation. What I want to say to my friends right here is, is look at this and go, is that who I am? Does my community of non-believers in my neighborhood, do they even know I'm a, a minister of the gospel? Does my community in my neighborhood see me care for them, work to love them, have a different family and a different faith? Does my neighborhood see me not just telling them the gospel, but giving their very life as a missionary to that neighborhood, to that school. Do your classmates just see you go to Shoreline and Wake, or do they see you loving them differently because you know something they don't know? Because that's what Jesus creates in us, and when he creates in us, then they're going to be ready for what verse 12 says, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you in his own kingdom and glory, and guess what? He's coming back. And he's going to recompense men according to their deeds. And I want you to be ready so that when you stand before Jesus, you who are saved would go, you were faithful, right? Because we're not going to be saved because of what we do. We're saved because of what Jesus has done. But the way we know that we're the people who know what Jesus has done is we turn from the way the world does things and we do what Jesus calls us to do. And when we do what Jesus calls us to do, we're just like Jesus or we're just like the things I just read you in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 11. Y'all see that? Well, I want to tell you something. I see that happening here in you. And our prayer for you from the beginning is that all we would do as friends who gathered in Dallas initially is to set you up to do that more. And, and um, the reason I'm here today is because I want to tell you, we think you're ready to do it, just as our brothers, just like as three of my kids have moved out of my house, one of them kept the Wagner name, and the other one changed their name. As they got married to other people, but we're all about the same thing, man. We still want to be a Christ-glorifying family. We believe Plano is ready to be an independent, thriving community of Christ followers. And um, to walk worthy of the calling with which he's been called, not as a satellite of the Dallas campus, but as a godly anchor in a Jerusalem that's right here in this city, that will cause the gospel to go forth. Thessalonica was not long a satellite of Jerusalem and Antioch. It became the church at Thessalonica. And as long as it did the things that they were taught, it was a great glory to God. We think you're ready. And so I wanted to bring my friend Brian and Kyle up to talk to you a little bit more about what we have thought about, learned about, and prayed together. And my friend David, who's also part of the senior leadership of Watermark. Brian, as you know, Buchek is a member of Watermark an elder at Watermark, but a member of Watermark Plano. He'll continue to be. Um, but we want to share with you how we got to this place and what, what this basically means. So, all right. tell him what I just told him, Brian. <laughs> hey, Plano family. Um, to 
clarify, did Todd just say that Plano, Watermark Plano, is going to become an independent local church? Yes, he did. All right, yeah, let's clap for that. So, uh, give you some timeline. Effective January 1st, 2021, 10 months from today, we're going to launch out as a local church here, uh, uh, this body of people. And so, I'm going to give you five minutes of just context. Uh, I've had a, a little bit of a unique vantage point, uh, getting to be on the current elder team with Todd and David and Bo, who is in Dallas uh, this morning announcing this same announcement to the Dallas campus. Um, and so I served for the, with, uh, two years with these guys, but prior uh, was part of the group of 500 folks who kind of launched out of the Dallas campus to start uh, this work of God up north. And so we didn't really ever think we were starting a campus. We just wanted to be the church. Am I right for those friends of, that were with me in here? And so um, five and a half years ago, uh, I stood right here and taught at the very first men's Bible study that was in this room with no carpet on the floor and uh, tables around here. And uh, look what God has done in, in five years. It's been amazing. And so uh, for three years, I got to co-labor with my friends Kegler and Grant McQuilkin and John the Collins, Rob Berry, the campus shepherds here, your leadership here at the Plano campus, and got to just form a friendship and a bond of just co-laboring, having an amazing time together, uh, leading and, and shepherding here at the Plano campus. And so um, we've seen for a long time, five years essentially, that uh, you have the godly leadership here at this campus ready to lead local elders who have essentially been eldering from day one. And so let me just dive in yeah. on that, explain that the Bible says, you know, in American context, we always have the senior pastor and like that's so-and-so's church. That's just not what's in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say there's one guy who leads a church. There's a point elders. And so we have always at Watermark had plurality of leadership. And about four years ago, the elders at the time, myself and Bo Fournette and Kyle Thompson and Dean McFarland, called down Kyle and uh, Grant McQuilkin and Rob, who was with you here, and, um, and Collins and Boo. And we had them come down and we just said, we just want to let you guys know, this is like three years ago, four years ago. Like right, we said, we think if you men were the elders, the senior leadership of Watermark, Watermark would be as good or better. We don't really know yet if there is a staff team that has all the gifts necessary to cause a body to thrive. But we want you guys to know, we think Watermark Plano is ready to just be led by you men. And so just continue your good work, lead with us and be the hands and feet up there. And, and, and we have continued to be elders over this work, but, but not out of necessity, out of what is currently happening. But we just said, hey guys, we believe in you. So Brian's now on the elder team, and the plan is, is that he would stay on the elder team, but in Plano, January 1st, when we think this transition will happen. So pick it back up, Brian. Yeah, Show so, them what elders are. Yeah, yeah. So in, in 2013, we, we launched the Fort Worth campus. 20, late 2014, we launched this campus. Um, again, not in, really to be a campus, but to be the, be the church in a locality where we could be more effective making disciples, reaching our neighborhoods in a way that was going to hopefully allow people to come and see what God was doing amongst us. And so um, this has been constant prayer and conversation for a lot of years, even though for some of you this morning, you're going to hear it and go, whoa, that, I've never heard this before. I didn't even know this was a possibility. So I want to acknowledge that. Um, also, just a little bit of context. A year ago, we asked the campus shepherds from each campus, Fort Worth, Frisco, and Plano, to come, and, and we spent... 24 hours with them at a retreat, and, and one of the exercises we had them do was, hey guys, write down and tell us, what else would you need to become an independent, thriving, healthy local church? Is there anything hindering you today? And this was a year ago. And, and we also asked them, hey, what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a part of Watermark overall? And so we prayerfully read that feedback, discussed it, uh, and it was really encouraging because really what we saw a year ago was Fort Worth and Plano largely saying, hey, well, we're really ready. There's, there's nothing immediately hindering us from, from being God's people as an independent church. So we took that feedback, and at the end of the summer last year, we made the decision as an elder team. We shared the conviction that, hey, let's launch 
Fort Worth. We shared that news with them, and we have just watched that body over there in Fort Worth over these last months be uh, excited, and we have just been so encouraged just by their response to continue to be the church and to own the mission of making disciples over there. And so just a few weeks ago, uh, we, we made that same decision uh, for Plano. And, and it's because we believe, we have a firm conviction that it is to the glory of Christ, the best thing for the kingdom of God and the best thing for this body to be and make disciples more effectively in the days and years ahead. And so just, uh, I know there's probably a few skeptics maybe in the room. Either you've been wounded from uh, just church experiences over the years or you're just naturally a skeptic. And so you're sitting there thinking, okay, I- I've seen this before. This is, uh, this is a division. There, there's something hidden behind the scenes, something going on that th- these guys aren't telling us. There's, there's either sin or conflict or disagreement, and, and I just want to put that to bed, guys, because it's just not true. Okay, I, I, I sit in a little bit of both groups because I am a Plano member and I'm on the elder team, and so I can just tell you there is so much love and trust and affection, as Todd just talked about, the way that we've always thought about not just the campus shepherds, but the, the staff and the body here overall. And so there's just, there's nothing uh, behind the scenes that, that we're not telling you in that regard. And then lastly, I know some of you may just want, want to know, hey, where could I go in scripture to better understand what has informed the elders, you know, over the years and then recently to, to have the conviction that this is the best thing. And so I would just encourage you to to go study your New Testament, read Paul's epistles, read all about the role of the local church and the role of elders in the local church. And what you're going to see over and over again is these pastoral responsibilities that are there that God tells godly men in the local church to be leading and the way that they shepherd the flock of God among them, to model full devotion and following Christ, to protect the flock from savage wolves and to guard the teaching and doctrine, to correct wayward members according to Matthew 18, to pray for our members. We know we'll give an account to every soul that God has entrusted to us as a member of our church. And and we have ultimate responsibility to, to make sure that the vision and values and mission of being and making disciples is being carried out. And so there's just the reality that Local elders who are present often with their people can fulfill those responsibilities uh, more effectively. And that's not to say that our satellite model is bad. It's been an amazing model to plant healthy local churches. We're seeing it happen in Fort Worth. We're seeing it right here in Plano. And so I couldn't be more excited. Plano is where Morgan and I came five years ago. We live 10 minutes north of here. This is our home. And so I grieve that the the reality of, of leaving these men, Todd and David and Bo, in terms of our current elder team at, at Dallas. Um, I hate that, but I'm willing to accept it because I know there is a glorious future here and our family is on mission here. This is where we're invested and I, and I am excited. I can't wait to jump in and, and join what will be Kegler and the other elders here in Plano come January 1st. Yeah, and I just want to tell you kind of how this has hit uh, the Kegler family. Uh, So there's probably, as this has kind of rolled out over the last few weeks, uh, we've told different, um, we've told our staff, we've told some of our senior leaders, and there have been three basic responses. One has been, hey, let's go, where have you guys been? I'm ready. That's been one of the responses. Another of the responses has been, hey, we're not super connected to Dallas anyway, so uh, yeah, let's keep going. Let's do this. And then there's a third group uh, that I am a part of, and that is a group that is uh, grieving to some degree the loss of something that's been incredibly important uh, to me and my family uh, for 20 years. And so for those folks that are here and you feel like your foundation has shifted a little bit because of the news that you're hearing in the last 10 minutes, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you to run to the same place you should run anytime your foundation shifts. And that's run to Jesus. Run to God's word and say, hey, God, what are you asking me to do? Okay, in the midst of this transition that feels pretty big. And so I would tell you, just to give you a little bit of my history on this thing, when we started talking about this, I felt my foundation shift. 
I have been in a room with Todd Wagner every week for 21 years. And Todd has been, had had a, has had a significant impact on who I am as a Christ follower and a minister of the gospel. And I am grieving that relationship. Just like many of you may grieve some things, but I'm just telling you what I got to do was I got to take my Bible and I got to disappear and get time with the Lord and pray, read the word. I got to get with my wife, talk about, hey, what do you think? How are we doing this? And I came back and I just said, this is where I want to be. Todd and I had been talking about, hey, is there a role for me at Dallas in the midst of this transition? And as I got with the Lord, I just heard really clearly, not an audible voice, but just from community and God's word, this is where I want to be with the family that has been with us for the last six years thinking about Plano. And I'm telling you, as much as I'm grieving my friendship and other friendships, I can't wait. No, no, none taken. <laughs> but yeah, I want you to know, I mean, we talked about that. You know, Kyle, listen, we, we, we've been doing this together. I mean, Watermark has been what, what our, a lot of our life work has been. But Watermark is not the Dallas campus. Watermark isn't even a thing. The people of God are a thing. And what we really want to do and we believe is the best thing is for us not to get to keep doing the people of God thing together. And that's not been fun. So I, as you've heard, I've got, I've got three kids that aren't, I'm not having breakfast with them every morning anymore. And I'm not having dinners with them every night because they're a different thing, a different family that's a glory to God and a blessing to others in different neighborhoods, which is a loss to me. But there's something strengthening happening in that appropriate independence while there's still a deep love, affection, and partnership going forward. So, um, yeah, so Kyle and Trish and, and the leadership and their community just said, hey, Todd, as much as we know there's a great opportunity for us to serve in Dallas, we think this is the right place for us to keep serving. And, we're, you know, our response was, man, well, then how can we help you be God's leaders there? And that's where we are. There was a, a couple, uh, 30 years ago, there were two prayers that have just stayed with me, kind of what I would say are defining moment prayers. And one of those was, hey, God, you're in the business of creating dependence upon yourself. Mm -hmm. And would you do things in my life that create dependence? This is one of those things where I am coming back to, okay, Lord, would you, um, would you give me conviction and courage and boldness as we take this next chapter? The other thing I prayed is, God, would you give me uh, a group of friends that I could be on a lifelong, daily interactive, world-changing mission with? And he has done that. I have gotten to be a part of that for the last 30 years, and I could not be more excited about this next chapter where I'm going to get to do that with you. I've been in the weeds with you for the last five or six years, and we are ready. We're ready to do this, and I can't wait for what God's going to do. And so everybody out there that uh, has heard this information the first time, there are questions running around, uh, running around your brain right now. And I just want to answer kind of the four or five big ones. And then when you walk out of here, you're going to get handed uh, an, a frequently asked question page that will help you process uh, with friends, with your community. And here's what I want you to know as you start wrestling with this. Our heart is to help you process this well in a way that makes your future glorious, as Todd <laughs> talked about in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 2, right? Is that wherever, I would love for every single person in this room to stay here and be a part of the Watermark Plano campus. That would be awesome. But if the best place for you to serve and use your gifts is going to be at the Dallas campus, let's celebrate that. Let's just figure out, let's process well what God is asking and, you to do. And as we said, first, if there's another Bible-believing First Thess 2-led church, there's a better place for you, tell us that. We'll celebrate that. We're not trying to grow Watermark Plano, Watermark Dallas. We're trying to grow you. And you're our brothers and sisters. And we love you. And we, I, I'm at Watermark because this is where I'm growing. And we hope that's why you're here. And being loved and experience the love of Christ. But gang... We're trying, to, we're trying to serve you. We don't have a pretext for collecting you. We have a pretext for you to be blessed and, and a blessing as you're blessed. So a couple of questions we get. Hey, what's going to happen to leadership? You, you've already, we've already talked about that. Our leadership teams are going to get better. 
Brian's going to come back and be a part of eldering and shepherding our church here. Uh, another question that comes a lot is what's going to happen to the teaching? And we are moving to a, a team teaching model with a teaching pastor. So for those that have been around the last three or four years, uh, many of you know that Derek Matthews has been our equipping pastor, our men's pastor for the last three years, and does an amazing job of teaching God's word. Okay, anytime he teaches after he's done, I wanna go read my Bible. And that's what I want for, want for our body. And then he's gonna teach you how to study your Bible as he teaches. So Derek is gonna be the teaching pastor here, but we're, we also have several men at this campus who are really good teachers. Jeff Parker, Harrison Ross, Brian Buchek. And so we'll do a little bit more of a team teaching model than what we have done historically um, just the last five years that we've been here. Uh, what about the name? That's a question that's gonna come up. There's nobody in this room that loves the name Watermark more than me, okay? I have repped the brand for 22 years, okay? And so here's what we're having to think through, and I would ask you to pray for us, and that is we want to stay connected to what that brand means. We want to keep shepherding. We want to keep reaching the lost in Collin County. We want to keep doing that, but we also don't want to create confusion, and so uh, as Google searches and all kinds of things happen, there are folks that are telling us, hey, this could get confusing for the community around you. So we're trying to make the wisest decision about that and would love for you to pray for us as we're thinking through that. Another quick thing that you but, may be, but, go ahead. Yeah, that's going to be a decision made by the leadership here, right? We, we, our only thing is, hey, let's just figure out so we don't create confusion, but we'd be delighted and we trust them. We delight if you keep the name Watermark and trust you if you don't, right? We, we don't want ownership. We want faithfulness, all right? So, sorry. Yeah, you're good. Uh, another thing you're thinking about, oh, I've got uh, Dallas people in my community groups, or you're in a Plano group and you've got Dallas people. So here's what we want you to know. If you have students in groups, they are, if they're in a group right now that's got Dallas and Plano folks, they're going to get to kind of sun, sunset, sunset that for the next six years, right? So they're going to be, they're not, we're not going to pull those students out of their uh, community groups. If you're an adult and you're in a group that's got some overlap between the Dallas and the Plano campus, what we're going to say to you is we would ask you to be intentional about moving to um, be shepherded by one campus or by one church or the other church in the next couple of years. If there's a transition that happens, we would love to move you one way or the other. But what I'd also want you to, knew, want you to know is that we, uh, we do not want to take you out of something that's ha helping you be all that Christ wants you to be. We just don't want to do that. So we're going to shepherd every one of those groups that has an overlap. Hey, what's best for you? How can we serve you? How can we help you? And we will work with you through, uh, through that process. And then the last thing, one of the big questions is what's the connection to Dallas going to be? And it's still going to be a great connection. It's a, Todd and I are brothers. We're going to continue to be in contact. It's just going to look a little different. That's the same for all of our staff. Our staff has deep connections to the Dallas staff. And so we're going to continue to use the resources that Dallas produces, but we are going to be our own independent church with elder leadership uh, going forward. So one last thing I'll throw in, and David, you go, is um, there's no talk. Well, not only is there no talk, we have decided that the Bible speaks. There's no denomination. We're not looking to create a denomination. We don't see denominations in Scripture. Um, what we will be is um, a group of brothers, a, a network of friends that are trying to make Jesus famous for each other. But there's no denominational structure. If you want that, it emanates out of Rome. And we just don't see it in our New Testament. Okay, but we are a part of the same family and we need to do everything we can to care for and love one another. Also, there is no payment coming from Plano to Dallas. In fact, before you leave, there is more investment coming from Dallas Watermark directly to Plano because our goal is to set you up to be as healthy and successful in its beginnings uh, and its continuance as it can be. So there's, there's none, there's nothing, and by the way, one of the reasons we know this satellite thing is smart is because, I, think about this, we're about to unleash 2,000 people, about 1,100 of them who are getting after it as members, who have a staff of like 25 people, 
elders four thick, and by the way, we're going to let you speak into the elder thing. David will comment on that in a minute. Um, with a fully paid-for, debt-free facility in under five years, and it was just over five years. That's amazing. All right? And so, um, and so we are thrilled by that, and we're like, go, Jesus. Go to work, Plano, and may you be a city on a hill that is, uh, that is a source of glory to Jesus until he returns. So there's nothing coming back. All there is is just more going forward to the glory of Christ, and we love that. David, what about the elder thing? Yeah, so just a couple, couple things. One, uh, so, you know, at Watermark, we don't vote on elders. We don't see that in Scripture. Uh, God has provided this campus with amazing godly leadership that we think uh, Kegs and the elder team think they are ready to go to continue to lead and to bear the uh, amazing and awful burden of the responsibility for the stewardship of souls. And so we will be presenting these men to you, and we will say, hey, this is what we think makes sense as we've spent time with these men, as we've prayed. But if you know something we don't know, if you see something we have not seen over the years, it is your obligation to raise your hand and say, hey, I have a concern. Or if there's not, then the men that have been serving you as campus shepherds plus boo will be the next, the next elder team, and that'll, that'll come. Uh, you know, one of the, 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 one of the phrases we've been using to help articulate sort of our, our thought process behind this is that uh, we think uh, all else equal, so assuming you've got uh, godly leadership and the teaching and a healthy membership, uh, all things equal, a healthy local church is better than a, ho- a healthy local satellite. And so, uh, as Boo mentioned, we don't see satellites as being sinful, but we think a more optimal solution, as reflected in your New Testament, is a healthy, independent church. And we rejoice that God has brought the Plano campus to this place, and we grieve because we love you. And you are just down the hallway from us in our home today. And we're saying, hey, we're going to build, we're going to make this into two individual homes close by each other, but individual. And I was thinking about just this passage in 1 Thess 2 at the end that you're going to get to, we're going to get to next week, when, when Paul, who had to be taken away from the church in Thessalonica, and he's trying to get back to him, and he can't, and we don't know why, just, he says he's been unable to get back, he's been hindered. And he says, uh, Paul says in the end of chapter 2, for what is our hope or our joy or a crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you For you are our glory and our joy. And I want you to know, I want you to hear from us, Plano, Mm. that you are our glory and joy. And one day, and I I pray more fervently than I ever have that Jesus Christ would come back soon. But one day, whenever he decides to come, we're going to stand before Jesus, not with anything we've done. But we're going to say, look at Plano. Look at the men and women and the young adults who are getting after it in Plano. They are our, cl- our glory and our joy, and we present them to you. And I, I can't wait for Kyle and Brian and the other campus shepherds to get to, to um, in a way that is uh, different than in a campus shepherd role as an elder, to say, these people, these men and women, I, I present them to you now in the face of Christ, fully mature. And so we celebrate this while, as Keg said, we grieve because we love you and we love what we have. But what we have is not a reason to keep doing it just because we love being with you guys. That's not the right reason to stay together. And so we are excited and we're praying and we've got 10 months to make sure all the T's are crossed, all the questions are answered. And uh, we just, we're, we're pumped. Yeah. And so one of the things we would ask you to do is would you pray with us, number one, that as this transition happens in the next 10 months, that we would stay focused on the mission that God has given us. And that is to make disciples, and that is to reach the 700,000 people in Collin County that do not know Christ. God has got, as Brian said, a glorious future for us to be a part of what he wants to do up here. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege uh, to be and make disciples. Thank you for the privilege to be about sharing your gospel, sharing the good news of Christ with others. Thanks for the privilege to share our stories of what you have done in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as this next chapter uh, starts for us, as it begins, that we would be even more bold and courageous with the gospel, 
that we would be a city set on a hill that all of the people of Richardson and Plano and Allen and McKinney would look to and that they would run to whenever they are having, um, when they're struggling or suffering, that the light and the gospel of Jesus would be what they run to. Let us be a part of that. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.